is what the war in Vietnam is all about. Communism was on the march. I knew that when I went to Vietnam, I was going to be killed. Never have men served with greater devotion. Explain Vietnam. I can't do it. This is Veterans Voices, Memories and Stories of Minnesota's Vietnam Veterans. I'm Kevin Berger. Michael Medina. I was with MCB 40 at the CB Construction Battalion. I was in the service 67-68, and I served one year in Vietnam. a wide-ranging conversation with Michael Medina. Uh, his parents were born in Mexico, so he was raised first-generation American and, and has that perspective. His dad served in World War II. He, his dad's service, I think, had a huge impact on him as he was growing up. The idea that uh, it was a man's job and duty to serve their country. I was the uh, first male in my generation, uh, first-born Mexican-American that uh, graduated from high school. And I went on to college, studied at the University of Minnesota School of Architecture. And how did you happen to go into the service? Well, like most of my generation, uh, we were all drafted. We all knew we were going, just a matter of when, in order to keep uh, going with my studies, I looked around for a reserve unit, which was the the Seabees, or yes, Navy and the Seabees. The day I, I went through the graduation line, I got I got the letter saying, "We'll see you in Philadelphia in ten days." <laughs> so that's that's how I got in. I ended up serving four years of reserve and two years of active. What part of Vietnam were you in? I was in uh, an area called Chu Lai. Chu Lai is about 50 miles south of Da Nang. So it was, it was a little bit isolated. It was great that we were right on the beach, and then there was the airstrip, and then there was a small village, and then the mountains behind the village. So it was very scenic. His dad also was a, a musician, played in a band, and, and Michael grew up uh, loving jazz. When he went to Vietnam, he got a chance to be exposed to music from some of the people that he served with, the kind of music he'd never heard before, and that was uh, something new and exciting for him. What was the music like over there? It was great because I had never really experienced be living in Minnesota, a lot of black music. Uh, learned about the Supremes and Temptation and all those groups. You know, a lot of the music had themes of protest in it. How did, how did that strike you? When I got there, there wasn't too much protesting. It was after the uh, Tet Offensive that you began to hear more music. You, you could get angry about it, and it made you think. It made me think. I think the only song I heard, and I, I can't remember the group, might have been The Animals or something, says, I want to get out of here. <laughs> That's we got to get out of this place. Yeah, we got to get out of this place.
That was the theme song for everybody there. We had radio. They had uh, the Armed Forces radio station there. Everybody woke up to it. You know, you go to your workplace, everybody was playing at that station. Stand by for lunch in rapid review for you, AFBN's Capsule Countdown, America's Top Ten. Uh, a lot of people come in, you know, Bob Hope or Cal Welch. I remember that day, too, that we were watching it, and towards the end of the show, all of a sudden the helicopters start coming in, so everybody just ran off. They were needed up at the hospital. So were you on a ship? You know, I was in the Navy, but I have never been on a ship. Uh, Seabees generally are, are land-based. We're generally serving the, the Marines. Wherever the Marines are deployed, uh, we usually have a CB unit. The CBs were builders, so we did do a lot of a lot of structures. But I also got to design the emergency hospital unit in Chulai, Vietnam. I learned a lot of things. I didn't know what the word triage meant. So I learned that triage is when the doctors and nurses played God. Yeah, like in the movie about World War II where the nurses took a lipstick and placed an X on the, on the people. Well, in this case, we designed a room where they would look at the patient and say, well, we can't do anything, can we put him over here? This guy has a chance, so we'll put him over here. What's the next step? Well, and this, I knew that from my own experiences in designing hospitals, you take them to x-ray and lab, and then decide what to do in surgery, and then he took him to an intensive care. You know, as the patient got better, then he got in into the big hospital, which was a big hospital, but they didn't have an emergency unit there. Medina has what we would now clearly call PTSD. Uh, at the time when he came back, no one, that, that term did not exist, and he actually went back to Vietnam as part of many years later still the need to heal by returning to the place that that was the source of all this struggle for him now did you go on to have a career as an architect yes I, I came back and I went back to work for the same firm that I hired me as a student and I got my architectural license and I worked for them for almost 40 years. How did you feel about going to Vietnam? I was one of those that uh, I didn't like the war, uh, but I felt obligated to do my service. And what are some of your memories from being there? When I look back, uh, I look at the good memories I had. You know, I met a lot of nice friends. I still keep in contact with them. I I still belong to the uh, retirees group. <laughs> they have a, a reunion every year, so I try to get to, to those as often as possible. As a first-generation American, right? Your parents came from Mexico? They came from Mexico. Did you feel patriotic? You know, uh, did you feel that, that you owed this to your country? Well, my dad is a World War II veteran. Uh, he served uh, in the Pacific with... Uh, General MacArthur's army. And so, you know, through him, I, I understood the military. And, and so I grew up knowing that I would have to serve and I would do it honorably, you know, the best I could. What was it like for Mexican-Americans in the service? 
uh, in the 60s, things were changing. But there was, you know, I always had this fear when I went into uh, North Carolina to train. I never went into town hearing stories from uh, my peers or, you know, the pe people that served in uh, Korea, World War II, and how they retreated uh, in the South. So I had that fear. So those are things that disturbed me, and especially, you know, my community that uh, the Mexican-Americans don't get enough recognition for their part in, in all the wars, even going back to the Civil War, going back to when this country was founded. There's always been some Latinos in, in the uniform, United States uniform. So uh, people don't recognize that, and we're sometimes treated as you other people. Did you sense any hostility when you were in Vietnam from the people? No, you know, actually, um, what we did is we would go out to villages and uh, help them develop clinics and schools. So we were, we were pretty much working with the community. And, you know, I, I never felt anything. I, I, I could see fear in her eyes, you know, always. And, you know, even back then, I wondered, you know, these poor people are being harassed by U.S. military in the day, and then at night they're being harassed by the Viet Cong. Is that, you know, what? How do they survive? You know, how do they get through that? I guess when you when you went back, how did the people seem while you were there in Vietnam? Well, I was in South Vietnam, so I was greeted and treated very well. They were interested in my story, and they were interested in telling because they were much younger. They were interested in telling their parents and grandparents' story to me. So we had in common, we had a lot of good uh, experiences and um, good conversations with them. And, you know, you wonder why we fought them, you know, <laughs> why there was a war. You know, I still want to get up to July because that's, that's where my worst experiences were. And, uh, you know, understand it's all gone. The hospital gone, the airstrip's gone. And I just wanted to be there just to... Uh, Closure. What does closure mean to you? Well, you know, I when I came back, um, you know, nobody knew about this post-traumatic disorder. I never knew the horrors of war, but in those days of uh, the Tet Offensive, we just experienced what weapons can do. And when I came home, my first day on the job and when I went back to work for Ellerby, I was going up the back stairs to my workspace. In the back stairs, there was this huge window that was about a story and a half. And as I was going up the first landing, the window exploded. And the next thing I knew, I was about where the Lafayette Bridge was running. And I don't know what happened in between. And I would wake up in the middle of the night in the apartment when there was a bad thunderstorm when I'd be running out of the apartment. I didn't know what that was, and it took me many years of, uh, you know, sort of depression that I, know, I didn't know I had. Uh, those were very tough times for me, those, those 10 years. I, I really didn't care about anybody. I didn't care about my family. I didn't care who I hurt. I didn't care what I did. I was taking chances I shouldn't have taken. And, uh, 
You know, I had a problem with alcohol. You know, I, I destroyed, really, I destroyed my first family I had. I started to get emotional. Uh, I went to a psychologist because I was going through my second divorce. You know, I, I went there to figure out how to save that, that marriage, but he says, you know, forget about it. We're just talking about you. He helped me through it. Today I'm better because of it. You know, I've, uh, it's been 40 years now I stopped drinking. I've been able to contribute back. When I see these veterans that really struggling, that, you know, some of them uh, can't get rid of it. And that's when I come to these groups and I'm very active with the AMVETS. I'm very active with the AA and with other, you know, support and help groups. I've always tried to mentor the young people that are getting into architecture. That part of my life I enjoy now. Uh, you know, I'm lucky to be here. I thank the Lord. This must have given me a reason. Medina has enjoyed the camaraderie of veterans groups. He's been active in organizations that advocate for veterans. And again, like father, like son, his dad, the World War II veteran, was active just until a few years ago. At the time when I'm recording this, Joseph Medina is just turning 103. On the next episode, a nurse describes how her faith sustained her through endless days and too much carnage. Um, I saw his things and his ID card was there, and I picked it up and looked at it, and it was his 21st birthday that day. I just was so sad. I can't even, I don't think I've ever been that sad before. This is Kevin Berger for Veterans Voices Vietnam. Veterans Voices Vietnam is produced by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with the Minnesota Humanities Center and support from the state of Minnesota. Online at Ampers.org.